Section 60 of Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones. Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments, Case Studies, Chapter 12, Part 2. The PHS Study On August 25, 1949, the State of Colorado and U.S. Public Health Service officials met to explore radiation safety in the uranium mines and mills. Colorado was home to about half of the U.S. uranium mines. Because many of them were small mines, they employed less than 10% of the country's uranium miners. New Mexico, with much larger mines on average, had a fraction of mines, but nearly half the miners. The Colorado Department of Health established an advisory panel of federal, state, and uranium industry officials to oversee a comprehensive study. The panel advised the health department that more information was needed on the medical hazards of the uranium mines. In August 1949, the Health Department, along with the Colorado Bureau of Mines and the U.S. Vanadium Company, formally requested a study of the mines and mills which the PHS agreed to do. The PHS initiated both environmental studies of the mines and epidemiologic studies of the miners. The environmental study ended in 1956, but the epidemiologic study is ongoing. In 1949, Henry Doyle, a sanitary engineer who was the chief PHS representative in Colorado, began environmental sampling in the mines. Doyle recruited Holliday to direct the study. The health departments of Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona also participated. The environmental part of the study began first, in 1950. Between 1950 and 1954, Medical examinations of uranium miners and millers were done on a hit-or-miss basis. But in 1954, a systematic epidemiological study of the miners was begun. Between 1949 and 1951, PHS investigators took environmental measurements of radon levels in the mines. Like Dr. Eisenberg, they detected high levels of radon. In a February 1950 memo to the PHS Salt Lake City office, Holliday reported on a survey of four mines on the Navajo Reservation. He declared that while he anticipated that the samples would show high radon concentrations, the final results were beyond all expectations. The samples disclosed a rather serious picture, leading Holliday to conclude, quote, that a control program must be instituted as soon as possible in order to prevent injury to the workers." Close quote. On January 25, 1951, representatives of the AEC and the PHS Division of Industrial Hygiene and other branches of PHS convened to discuss in detail the radon concentrations discovered by the PHS study and what could be done about them. The PHS staff explained that the uranium study demonstrated, quote, radon concentrations in the mines high enough to probably cause injury to the miners, close quote. They also said the hazard could be abated 
by proper ventilation. The group concluded that the redone concentrations should be reduced to the lowest level possible consistent with good mine ventilation practices, but found it unrealistic to set a definite level that mine operators should meet. They recommended further research, especially on ventilation techniques. By this route, the radon concentrations in the mines would be materially reduced in all cases, and viable information would be yielded as to the effectiveness of standard ventilation practice in the control of radon. It was also noted at this meeting that the acceptable level of radon in manufacturing was only 10 picocuries per liter, one to three orders of magnitude lower than the observed levels in the mines. The PHS progress report for the second half of 1951 explained that because of the acuteness of the radon problem, it was felt that it was necessary to temporarily put aside our full-scale environmental investigation of this industry and concentrate on the control of this contaminant. The PHS met with the mining companies to discuss the hazards and urged them to undertake ventilation measures. In 1979, Duncan Holliday testified to Congress that by 1940, I do not believe there was any prominent scientist or industrial hygienist in the United States, except one, presumably Lorenz, who was not thoroughly convinced of the dangers, and it had been demonstrated that the radioactive elements could be removed from a closed area and be completely avoided. However, it appears the mining industry lacked the commitment to improve worker conditions. The PHS distributed its interim report on a restricted basis to state and federal government officials and mining companies in May 1952. A June 26, 1952, press release announcing the completion of the interim report began with the statement that quote, no evidence of health damage from radioactivity had been found close quote. mining had been going on for only a few years and lung cancer has a ten to twenty year latency period the introduction to the report itself noted however that certain acute conditions are present in the industry which if not rectified may seriously affect the health of the worker. Meanwhile, as evidence of hazard mounted, Dr. Huber, now at the National Cancer Institute, reported continued efforts to limit his speech on the risks involved. Dr. Huber reported that in 1952 he was invited to speak to the Colorado Medical Society, but declined to attend when ordered by the director of the NCI at the request of the AEC's Shields Warren, to delete references to the observation of lung cancer in from 40 to 75 percent of the radioactive ore miners in Europe. Although these occupational hazards have been reported repeatedly since 1879. In a 1952 memo to the head of the Cancer Control Branch of NIH, Huber reported that an AEC representative had objected that references to occupational cancer hazards in the mines were not in the public interest, and represented mere conjectures. After the Colorado episode, according to Huber, 
Warren wrote to the director of the NCI, asking for Dr. Huber's dismissal for bad judgment. Dr. Huber kept his job, but was, according to Victor Archer, one of the physicians who ran the uranium miner study, forbidden to travel west of the Mississippi for research purposes. U.S. officials, including those from the PHS, had no independent authority to enter the privately owned mines, as opposed to those owned by the AEC and leased to private operators, without permission of the mine orders. Duncan Holliday testified in court proceedings that in order to gain access to the mines, an oral agreement was made with mine owners not to directly inform those most affected by their findings, the miners. According to Holliday, this was a routine procedure that was followed in every business survey I was aware of. This went back for many decades. To gain entry to the mines, the researchers agreed that the PHS would not alarm the miners by warning them of hazardous conditions. In 1983, Holliday testified in Begay that you had to get the survey done and you knew perfectly well you were not doing the correct thing by not informing the workers. A medical consent from the PHS study dated May 1960 says nothing about the risk of lung cancer or any other health risk associated with working in uranium mines. There would be no over-publicity, Holliday recalled in a 1985 deposition, and when we reported the information that we found, it would be done in such a way that the facilities where a particular set of samples were taken would not be identified, and that we would not inform the individual workers of what data we found. Holliday, toward Stuart Udall, a former Secretary of the Interior, who represented the miners in the Begay case, that he did not try to go public because he didn't think that Washington would notice a little Utah tweet from him. Eisenbud has suggested that perhaps this was because, in the Cold War environment, with nuclear weapons testing underway, no one would pay much attention to the long-term health risks of a small group of miners. Although the PHS and the AEC already knew the dangers of radon in the mines in 1951, and had pressed the states to take action with mixed results, PHS doctors nonetheless began to conduct basic health examinations to collect baseline data against which long-term health effects of radon could be gauged. These medical examinations did not initially find evidence of harm caused from working in the mines. However, one would not have expected to find such effects because few miners had been on the job more than five years, and lung cancer takes ten to fifteen years to appear. By 1953, the PHS had completed a series of ventilation studies. As early as 1951, federal and state officials meeting with mine owners in Colorado had told them that ventilation had been tried in other mines and found to be satisfactory. But while some large mines were ventilated during the 1950s and 60s, most of the small mines were not ventilated until the 1960s or later, and in those mines that had ventilating systems earlier, they were not always properly used. 
the uranium miners were discussed at a january nineteen fifty six meeting of the aec's advisory committee for biology and medicine the formerly secret transcript records that in a status report on the colorado plateau the division of biology and medicines dr roy albert stated there are no pressing particularly pressing problems associated with it now but there has always been a rumbling of discontent with the status of the health conditions in the uranium mines of the colorado plateau because this is a mining industry which is essentially controlled by the federal government and by the aec in terms of how much it can produce and how much it paid for its product albert explained that the tentative decision was to sit tight because it would be an unusual step for the federal government to enter the mining industry and the aec could take a wait-and-see approach as the states took up the cudgel merrill eisenbud responded to no evident effect that the federal government should pay to ventilate the mines i think here is where our responsibility lies because i think this industry would not exist except for the fact that we need uranium if the cost of operating these mines as determined by us does not permit adequate ventilation of those mines we will have to change the price it's as simple as that in october nineteen fifty eight the roy burney the surgeon general of the public health service wrote to charles dunham director of the aec's division of biology and medicine that the numbers are too small to permit conclusions to be drawn at this time about whether there were excess lung cancer deaths among the uranium miners however he added if this proportion of mortality should increase or even continue in the future then it might be appropriate to conclude that our american experience is not inconsistent with that in czech and german mine dr burney added although we do not have complete environmental measurements in all mines it appears that about one thousand five hundred men in some three hundred mines are working in uncontrolled or poorly controlled environments the median level of alpha emitters in the mines of one state is five times the recommended working level and in some mines the level is exceeded by more than fifty times it is usually the older smaller mines in which the workers are still exposed to these high levels Bernie concluded by suggesting that as the sole purchaser of ores produced in the mines the federal government should require mine owners to conform to federal safety standards several months later dunham wrote a memo to aec general manager a r ludek reporting it is doubtful if the commission's regulatory authority could be extended to cover the mines the same day march eleventh nineteen fifty nine aec general counsel l k olson wrote to dunham reporting that there is nothing in the legislative history of the nineteen fifty four atomic energy act or the nineteen forty six atomic energy act which indicates that congress may have intended to permit the aec to regulate uranium mining practices later in nineteen fifty nine the aec asked the bureau of mines to inspect mines at least and then made follow-up inspections to see that the bureau's recommendations were followed closing sections of the mine temporarily until corrective measures were completed 
in the ten months between july nineteen fifty nine when the inspections began and may nineteen sixty levels of radon in these mines improved dramatically as the judge in the Begay decision found the aec concluded that it could enforce health and safety measures in leased mines as distinct from privately owned mines pursuant to the leasing provisions of the atomic energy act and amended its mines leases to contain explicit enforcement language and procedures the states began to annex standards in 1955 but inspection and enforcement came later and varied greatly new mexico began enforcement in 1958 colorado and utah did not begin serious enforcement until the 1960s and arizona according to duncan holliday did nothing outside of take air samples in late 1959 the miners were provided with a phs pamphlet that warned them about the hazards of radon exposure the pamphlet mentioned the possibility of radon causing lung cancer but said nothing of the experience of u s or european miners or the level of risk it said that scientists are working hard to get the final answer on how much radon and its breakdown products known as daughters you can be exposed to safely it did not tell the miner the suggested figures but suggested bringing enough clean fresh air to the face to sweep out the radon gas and dust as well as several other measures to reduce exposures all mining is dangerous and there is no reason to think that any miners went into the uranium mines unaware of this whether the uranium miners had an appreciation of the added cancer risk from radon is another matter the nineteen fifty nine pamphlet is the first document we could find that indicated that the federal government tried to warn the miners of the radiation hazards while the pamphlet mentioned the possibility of radon causing lung cancer it gave no indication of the level of risk duncan holliday told a congressional hearing in nineteen seventy nine quote, we in the public health service made every effort to communicate with the men the situation that they were in we put out pamphlets conducted medical examinations we told them what the story was Close quote. This statement is hard to reconcile with Holliday's other statements, as quoted earlier, that the researchers had agreed not to warn the miners as a condition for access to the mines. When Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah suggested to Mr. Holliday that some of the miners just were not capable of understanding or knowing the dangers to which they were subjected, Mr. Holliday responded, I understand this perfectly well. In 1960, the PHS presented to the governors of the mining states what it believed to be conclusive evidence from the PH study of a correlation between uranium mining and lung cancer. The evidence showed that at least four and a half times more lung cancers were observed than would be normally be expected among white miners for whom the comparison data were available, and that there was less than a 5% chance that such a difference had appeared by chance the results of a study of three hundred and seventy one mines the number of miners surveyed was not stated in nineteen fifty nine showed that the number of mines with unacceptable levels of radon had increased from nineteen fifty eight 
yet the federal government continued to defer to the states on rule setting and enforcement in the case of the mines that were not aec property and the aec the phs and the states continued studies and discussions finally in nineteen sixty seven secretary of labor willard wirtz announced the first federally enforceable standard for radon and its daughters in uranium mines that supplied the federal government after seventeen years of debate and discussions regarding the respective private state and federal responsibilities for conditions in the uranium mines wirtz told congress there are today or were when the hearings were called no adequate health and safety standards or inspection procedures for uranium mining the standard was set at zero point three working level wl wirtz established this criterion under the nineteen thirty six walsh healy act which provided for the regulation of health and safety conditions under government contracts it is not clear why the authority granted the secretary of labor under this nineteen thirty six law was not used earlier to control radon in the mines but it might have been because most of the mines were privately owned and did not operate under federal contracts which made the applicability of the act questionable the begay decision begay versus united states was filed on behalf of a group of miners in federal district court in arizona in nineteen seventy nine the case came to trial in nineteen eighty three during the nineteen fifties according to the court the phs found radiation exposures in some mines higher than the level it recommended and even higher than the doses received as a result of the atomic bomb explosion in japan but on july tenth nineteen eighty four the court decided that the united states was immune from suit although the judge wrote that the miners situation cries for redress the decision in the begay case poses basic questions regarding the responsibility of the government and its researchers the court found that the government's actions were motivated by strong national security interests the government in making its decision in this area was faced with the immediate need of a constant uninterrupted and reliable flow of great quantities of uranium for urgent national security purposes and as an energy source in the future for the growing peacetime nuclear energy industry the decision-makers had to be concerned that there was adequate data available to justify the standards to be set and that labor and management would have the tools to know when they were in violation the court is not clear however on why or how a standard for radon in the mines would have interrupted the flow of uranium damaged national security interests or interfered with the development of peaceful uses of nuclear energy ventilating the mines would have been relatively inexpensive and it would have improved working conditions this was demonstrated in phs ventilation studies in nineteen fifty one making it more rather than less attractive to a potential workforce in nineteen sixty the deputy commissioner of mines of colorado is reported as having said that ninety eight per cent of the mines would have to suspend work if forced to abide by a working level standard proposed in nineteen fifty five one hundred picocuries of radium in equilibrium with three hundred picocuries of radon daughters in any event 
the federal government did not invoke national security as a basis for its inaction for example in nineteen eighty six duncan holliday responded in the negative when asked in a deposition in all your years from nineteen forty nine until your retirement did you ever receive directly or receive indirectly any document from the public health service from the atomic energy commission or from any other source indicating you or directing you that you are to pull punches or nothing was to be done because of national security considerations as for the federal government's policy of not regulating the mines this appears to have involved questions of the aec's understanding of its authority and political questions relating to the traditional relationship between the states and the federal government was the failure to apply the same approach to the uranium miners as to the beryllium workers a matter of the absence of legal authority as claimed by the aec or of reasoned deference to state regulators as the court suggested the court's decision did not address the aec's action to require its beryllium contractors to comply with hazard standards nor did it address the fact that radiation standards were enforced in industrial settings fragmentation of responsibility both at the federal level and between the states and the federal government appears to have provided a convenient opportunity for the federal government to pass the buck among agencies and avoid decisive action until long after such an action should have been taken under what conditions should researchers enter into a long-term study where there is reason to suspect at the outset that the subjects are each day at continuing and largely unavoidable and unnecessary risk the begay decision states clearly the bargain entered into by the government and its researchers on behalf of the epidemiological study it was necessary to obtain the consent and voluntary cooperation of all mine operators to do this it was decided by phs under the surgeon general that the individual miners would not be told of possible potential hazards from radiation for fear that many miners would quit and others would be difficult to secure because of fear of cancer this would seriously interrupt badly needed production of uranium no individual mine or mines would be publicly identified in connection with that data consequently the voluntary consent of mine operators was secured to conduct the phs study the begay decision does not address questions such as whether the researchers could have worked more effectively with state agencies that had authority to enter the mines or whether they could have conducted the study in mines on federal or navajo land to which they had access in any case there is no obvious national security or other ground on which to justify the continued exposure of miners to the radon hazard as to medical examinations of the miners the court found that the physicians who had conducted them quote, had the responsibility for dealing only with the examination and the results of that examination close quote. thus the court concluded quote, it was neither necessary nor proper for those physicians to advise the miners voluntarily appearing for examinations of potential hazards in uranium mines. 
In the case of the epidemiological study, the court explained, an epidemiological study deals with group statistics, and the conclusion of such a study appropriately cannot be applied to specific participants of a group. The government did not seek volunteers to work in the mines so that they could become part of the study group. At this point, the advisory committee disagrees with the court. In epidemiological studies, such as the one under discussion, group conclusions are applicable to the members of the population of which the group is intended to be a representative sample. That is, each individual can be told of the probability of developing disease based on his level and conditions of exposure. If the study was poorly designed, then such applicability may not hold, but to the committee's knowledge, no one has argued this about the PHS study. Moreover, the PHS researchers had opportunities to warn the miners face to face because they examined them periodically over more than twenty years. There is some disagreement about whether any miners were warned of the risk of lung cancer, but even Duncan Holliday, who in one instance indicated that some miners received warnings, acknowledged that very likely these warnings were ineffective. End of section 60. Case Studies. Chapter 12. Part 2.